Praise the Lord. Good morning. What a great day, isn't it? And I, I want to I talk to you for a few moments. We're, we're uh, continuing on, on the series of unlikely heroes. Now, I want to talk to you today about the voice of reason. The voice of reason. I know years ago, I mean years ago, back when dinosaurs roamed the land, before the internet, before cell phones, before iPads, before computers, we had something called the newspaper. And it was every day, but on Sunday, it was huge. And the cartoons were in color. And it was great. So what a lot of families did, and ours wasn't an exception to the rule, we would go through the newspaper and you'd get to read everything. And there was, a, there was one area in particular by a lady named Abigail Van Buren. Dear Abby. And people would ride into Dear Abby and they'd have issues about their life. They would have struggles in their life. They were focusing on different aspects of their life. And they would, they would write into her and she would respond to their questions about life. And in many cases, she offered advice to those people experiencing difficult times. She was a voice of reason. I know during that same time, CBS News for 19 years had one person on there and he was the most trusted person in America. You may remember him, Walter Cronkite. And if, if you don't remember him, Google him. Yeah, you may like him, but he always ended his, his broadcast with this same phrase, that's the way it is. He had a way about him that brought a little ease to his listeners. Uh, Ronald Reagan, president during difficult times, whether people liked, uh, voted for him or didn't vote for him, he had a way, a, a disarming man, a manner that was able to help people feel comfortable in his presence. All three of them... Uh, Dear Abby, Walter Cronkite, Ronald Reagan, they were all people that had a particular gift. They could offer a voice of reason. I think people need that calming, that understanding voice of reason to speak into their lives. I'm sure that you have somebody or some people that, that you go to during difficult times, during challenging times, during the times of decision. You will go to people and you'll ask them their advice. I know the, uh, one of those in my own life was um, my father-in-law. Years ago, uh, years ago, we were going through some difficult times in church, and you say, well, do you have difficult times in church? Well, kind of, kind of. We had some people that didn't want to walk with the Lord and, and resisted the presence of God. They just wanted to be the frozen chosen. <laughs> and that's about all I'll say about that, but my father-in-law gave me some great advice. And his encouragement was just to keep a good attitude and walk with the Lord. 
And you know, it was, uh, it was a, the voice of reason that we just began to pray. We, we blessed everybody. And later on, months later, we had people that would come to, to Nancy and I and, we, and would say, you know, we are here and we stayed here because we watched your character and your conduct. I'm so glad that I listened to that voice of reason in my life. I believe today in, in the situations in which we live, in the circumstances in which our culture is, I, I believe that God's people, you and I, need to step up and be the voice of reason in an unreasonable world. This is what, what Scripture tells us in 1 Peter 3.15. It tells us, but in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I believe that this world needs a voice of reason, a calming presence, somebody that can offer insight into the confusion of the day. That's the church. That's you and I. I believe that's what God has called us to do, where the scripture says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Make him first and foremost, and when people ask you of the hope that you have, notice the hope that you have. If you have no hope, they're not going to ask you about your hope. They're not going to ask you about your despair. They're not going to ask you about your worry. They're not going to ask you about your anxiety. But when things are upside down and the world seems to be shaking and moving and you're standing firm and you have a smile and you have joy in your heart, people are going to say, I kind of want what she has. I kind of would like to look into what he's doing. And they're going to ask you, why do you have this hope in the middle of chaos? And it all comes because you have set apart Christ as Lord. You know, it's important to set apart Christ not just as Savior, but as Lord. What, well, what's the difference? Savior means that, that you have come to him and you said, Lord, I surrender my life. And, and he has forgiven you. He has pardoned you. He has set you free from your past and, and from your sin. But Lord says, here's my hands, here's my feet, here's my voice. Where you send me, I will go. What you want me to say, I will say. What you want me to do, I will do. You are Lord. And when you set apart Christ as Lord in your life, it's freeing because you don't have to try to figure out life on your own. Isn't it great? I believe that we need to be that, that calming voice of reason within the world. Because we're not going to find it, we're not going to find any comfort in, in politics or culture. You're just not going to find it. Comfort is found in Christ alone. L listen what Isaiah said. Isaiah 118, he says, Come now, let's reason together, says God. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, 
they, they will be like wool. Here's, here's God himself, and he is saying, hey, let, let's, let's talk. Let me, let me speak some reason into your life. Though your sins are as scarlet, though your life is upside down, if you come to me, I'll make it right. I'll cleanse you. I'll pardon you. I'll give you a new lease on life. Though, though you have a, a heavy burden, if you come to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What this world needs is not, not more mandates, not more laws, not, not more voices of, of anger and frustration and jealousy and rage. We need the voice of reason that says Christ is the only answer. We need that within the world. We need that same voice of reason, dare I say it, within the church. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 says this, After a long discourse of the Lord's return and the, and the rapture of the church and our gathering unto him, Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, So comfort and encourage each other with these words. Let me ask you a question. Does the Lord's return, when you think about the Lord's return, does it bring comfort to your heart? Does it, does it give you some understanding? Does it give you perspective that when the Lord comes back, all the worries that you have right now where'd they go? The Lord's return is designed to bring comfort into under, understanding. It's right perspective. This world, and just living, and I'm not, I'm not immune to this either. That's the reason why the, the writer told us to, to think about these things and to, and to let them bring comfort because he knew that life in general, everything that goes on around us can bring us confusion, can bring stress, can bring anxiety, can bring doubt, can bring fear. It, it, can, it can clutter your mind. But he also said, why don't you just comfort yourself, get your perspective right, that, that the Lord's return is the thing that you should be preparing for. And when you're prepared for the Lord's return, you have set Christ as Lord in your life. And when he's Lord in your life, you have a peace and a joy. And people are going to ask you, what is that joy? It works together. Comfort is found in Christ alone. And God's people can't afford to get caught up in the affairs of culture to the point that we forget. That we forget that we are called to a higher goal, a higher perspective, a higher understanding. For after all, we are the children of God. I want to talk to you today out of 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, it's not going to be on the screen. Uh, I apologize for that. I am going to narrate the story. And as I narrate the story, you can check to make sure I'm okay. I believe that you should always do that. That's why I either have it on the screen or I ask you to follow along because the Bible says that we need to rightly divide the word of truth. And don't take anybody's word 
for it. You can look at it, and if you agree, you can say amen. 1 Samuel chapter 25 tells us the, the original Dear Abby. It's the unlikely hero of Abigail. Here's David. David is, is being pursued by, by Saul. David has already been anointed king by, by Samuel. And he's already um, slain a lion. He has slain a bear. He has slain Goliath. And Saul knows that God's hand is on David. And David is just trying to do the will of God. And he's just trying to walk by faith in God's promises. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And here's David just trying to fulfill his destiny, trying to fulfill what God has called him to do. And you would think, if God called you to do something, man, that would be a four-lane highway. Because after all, God is sovereign. And yet David doesn't find himself on a, on a highway he finds himself on a narrow path with a lot of crooks and turns and stones. David's journey is difficult. And David's journey is difficult because Saul understands the anointing on David and Saul is fighting not just against David. Saul is fighting against God can I can I throw this in just for a moment if you're if you're walking in relationship with the Lord and it seems like you've heard from the Lord and everything seems to be uh, upside down can I bring you some encouragement that it happens a lot but God is always faithful here's David he's heir apparent through the through the throne he's protected and, and uh, he protected Nabal's uh, herdsmen Nabal was a very rich man he had a lot of sheep and and produce and 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 while David was running from Saul he and his uh, 400 or 600 men were out in the fields and they protected everything that Nabal had didn't touch anything didn't do anything to him and, and then one day that David requested of Nabal, he sent these young men and said, would you go to Nabal and would you tell them, would you tell them that, that uh, we have protected all of your, your uh, belongings and all your sheep and would you provide us with some food? And that wasn't a, a request that was out of the blue. It was actually a common request of their times. Nehemiah 18 tells us that on national holidays it was a time for giving. And in Esther 9.19 it tells us that, that every year that the Jews got together and they, and they rejoiced together and they sent gifts to one another and they would provide food for those that were in need. So what David was asking of Nabal was not something extraordinary, not something out of the way. He was just asking, hey, would you bless us because we have blessed you. And Nabal looked at the young men that David 
had brought before him. And Nabal did something absolutely incredible. He belittled them and belittled David. And he said, I don't, I don't know David. And I, and, and, and I know that, that, that everything that David does is he's just running from his master. And, and, and why should I even give him any credit? And he sent them back because Nabal did not recognize the hand of God on David's life. I want you to, to think about that for a moment. Have you ever heard from God and you, and you knew that God was wanting you to do something or go someplace or, or, and, or wanted to work in your life and you seemed like you were the only person that understood and nobody else was seeing the hand of God in your life? Why didn't Nabal see it? Because Nabal was not a servant of God. Nabal was a person that was focused on his own passions. Nabal was, had an evil attitude and action. He belittled David. He was an antagonist. He, he put down everything that, that God was wanting to do through David. So, David decides, the servants go back and, and talk to David, and David says, okay, we're going to leave 200 men here. I'm going to take 400 men with me, and we're going to put our swords on, and we're just going to go take care of Nabal. He was going to kill Nabal and everybody else around him. He was mad. He was angry. He was frustrated. And Abigail, Nabal's wife, heard what her husband had done and she did something amazing she prepared a bunch of food and sent it to David and she herself got on a donkey and took off after the food and after the food had arrived then then Abigail arrived and the scripture says when Abigail saw David she got off of the donkey and bowed before him and I want you to look at the advice that Abigail gave David Abigail's looking at David and he says I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man she's talking about her husband she's saying I know my husband's a jerk I'm glad all the wives didn't say amen He said, she says, I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. The, the name Nabal, the word Nabal means fool. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and, and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vintage, vintage into your own hands, let all your enemies be as cursed as Nabal is. And here's the very first thing that, that I believe that our, the, this voice of reason from Abigail, from the original Dear Abby said, is don't be distracted by naysayers. Don't be distracted. It just so happened that the naysayer was her husband. And he said, she said, listen, he, he doesn't see the hand of God in your life. He doesn't see God working in your life. He is a fool. What is a fool? A fool is somebody that makes a decision without knowing all the facts. 
And by the way, Abigail lived with one, so living with a fool doesn't give you the right to act like one. A fool stores up treasures for themselves in this life and are poor toward God. Listen to what uh, Luke 12, 15 says. This is the Lord, and he says, Then he said, Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life, let me, let me say this again. Real life is not measured by how much we own. And he gave an illustration, and at the end of that illustration, this is what Jesus said. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship toward God. Now, he is not talking about not having wealth in this world. What he is saying is, whatever you do and however God has blessed you, the most important thing that you can have is to have a rich relationship with God. Because this world will pass. This world is going to come. This world is going to go. I have lived the better portion of my life already, and it seems like a blink of an eye. My father-in-law used to always tell me, it doesn't take long to live a life. And it doesn't. The most important thing that you can have is a rich, personal, in-depth relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't just have a relationship that's on the surface. Don't allow your relationship just to be, Lord, I surrender my life, and then go about whatever you're going to do, trusting that he is going to pardon you and forgive you. Dig in deep. Find the treasure of a relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. Allow yourself to be lost in prayer. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Show, show yourself approved by studying the word of God, reading it, developing it in your life. Allow it to consume you because at the end of your days, the only thing that's going to matter is that personal rich powerful relationship with Jesus Christ my friends there is nothing else there is nothing else in this world that is more important than developing a relationship with God and the truth is I can't develop it for you your friends can't develop it for you your family can't develop it for you you and you alone have to get in and dig deep and get close to God I don't know where who I'm speaking to but I'm speaking to someone this morning you can't allow your, your relationship to be built on your mom and dad. You can't allow your relationship with God to be built on your spouse. You can't allow your relationship with God to, to be built upon your, your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, uncles, and cousins. You have to get to the place that, that Christ is all and in all. That no matter if you're 8, 18, or 80, you have to dig deep and know that your Redeemer lives. You have to know that you know that you you know that if he came back for you right now that you have made heaven your home don't squander don't squander that little bit of hope that he gives us 
when he says, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Live life, enjoy life, love life, but above all, set Christ as supreme. Abigail goes on to say, she said, look, the Lord will surely reward you with a, blessed, with a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battle. Listen to this voice of reason. She says, don't be distracted by, by the things uh, around you. And then she goes on and says, remember that the battle is the Lord's and it's not yours. If the Lord has called you, then the Lord is equipping you and the Lord is sustaining you. We, as David, have a mission in this life. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.9. It says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We have a mission, and our mission is to declare the praises of God. I'm going to let that soak in for a moment. What are you declaring in your life, in your actions, that you are designed, you are a child of God, and you are designed to declare the praises of God? I love what it says that you are, you are a royal priesthood. Not just a priesthood, but a royal priesthood. You are the priesthood of Christ, and you are there. A, the priesthood was designed to get people to draw them closer to God. Peter tells us that our, our goal, our ambition, our desire, our, our livelihood, our mission is to not just declare the praises of God, but to bring others to him. And yet the adversary is out there trying to sidetrack us and, with revenge and jealousy and hate, and we, he wants us to just forget that we are a royal priesthood, that we are to declare the praises of God. He wants you to forget. He wants you to, to, to build things in your life of discouragement and doubt and, and worry and anxiety and fear and, and all of these, these negative responses in our life. He wants to put them in us so when we look at other people, we won't look at them as a royal priesthood, but we'll look at them as indifferent or that we won't want to tolerate them. But when we are walking in relationship with God and we are living out that royal priesthood and we are, and we are declaring the praises of God, the Bible says in Matthew 43, uh, 5, 43, Jesus says, You have heard the law of Moses, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why would Jesus tell us to, to pray for those that hate us? Because 
because we are a royal priesthood, that we are designed to declare the praises of God, that our goal, our ambition, our drive is to seek and to save those that are lost. Our, our ambition in this life is to not only make heaven our home, but to bring as many people with us as we can. I want, I want to read the, the, the third thing, and then I'm going to quit. Maybe. So here's dear Abby, and she says, listen, don't get distracted by naysayers. And she says, listen, don't, don't worry about it, for it's the Lord's battle. And then she goes on to say this. When the Lord has done all he promised and has made you leader of Israel, She's saying, listen, I see the hand of God on your life, and God is going to bring his promises to fruition. No matter what it is, God is going to do it. That's why, that's why uh, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you shall perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to continually work in your life he is going to bring about those those promises in his word will never fall short he is going to to fulfill them but look what she says i know that the lord is going to make and fulfill those she said but don't let this be a blemish on your records think about that for a moment we're a royal priesthood. We are a chosen generation. And yet, there are times in our lives that we can make poor choices. You ever made a poor choice? That's a rhetorical question. Don't answer. Sure we have. But wait a minute. You're a child of God. You're supposed to, to make good decisions all the time. Yeah. That's why we have forgiveness and grace. David was about to take the lives of some of his fellow Israelites. And Abigail, the voice of reason, said, Listen, God is going to fulfill your destiny. But when you get there, don't allow it to have a blemish. Do it the right way. It's important because sometimes in life we can get caught up in the affairs of this life and we can get frustrated with people and, and, and different things that go on. And, and it's just... You ever, you ever lost your temper? I wish... I lost my temper once. I wish I would have never found it. But it, it's, it's easy to allow the things in this life and to make make a poor choice make make that wrong judgment just say the wrong word do the wrong thing be out of frustration or anger or revenge and 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 abigail saying listen god is with you and god's going to fulfill the promises but when you get there when you when you are king and you're standing in that palace you want to have a record that does not have a blemish We're to remember that we are serving as Christ served. Listen to what Philippians 2 says. It says, If there's any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, 
and your hearts are tender and sympathetic, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. But be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Your attitude, are you ready for this? Your attitude should be the same that Jesus Christ had. Ouch. You mean my attitude should be the same as Christ? who being in the form of God didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God because he is God, but made himself, made himself, made himself a servant and was born in a manger and grew up and became obedient unto death, even the death of of a cross. He walked Golgotha's trail for you and I, for the world. I, I wonder when, when, when he was on that cross and they said, well, if you're the son of God, command angels to come down. And, you know, and, and they were making fun of him. The Bible says that they were wagging their heads. I mean, that's just, you know, they were mocking him. And the Bible says he could have called a legion of angels. A legion of angels would have more power than, than all of the humanity combined. They could have, what he was saying is, I don't have to die. I don't have to do this. I'm not doing it, and I'm not going to extract vengeance on them. He just simply said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. My friends, when, when the when the situation rises in your life and you have that opportunity to extract revenge or, or to get back at somebody, can I encourage you to be the royal priesthood and to look and say, Father, they don't understand. Here's what happened. Here's what happened with Nabal. Nabal felt really good about himself. He felt great in fact, he had, had a big party and he got really drunk and, and, and Abigail did not tell him anything until the next morning. And the Bible says when the wine had gone out of him, in other words, he was sober, possibly had a headache. Abigail said, hey, you remember what you did yesterday? He said, remember the feast? No, no, not that. When you derided David... He was on his way with 400 men with swords to take your life and everybody else's life. And I went and stopped them. And the Bible says he had so much anxiety that he had a stroke. And he died 10 days later. It's, it's the Lord's battle. It's not our battle. Remember the battle belongs to the Lord. Remember that that, that we can't be distracted by the things around us. We can't be distracted by naysayers. We can't be distracted by those that don't see the hand of God in your life because not everybody will. 
But the most important thing is to remain a royal priesthood and don't allow a blemish to be on your record. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. Dear Abby had, had a saying once, and, and, and I, love, I love this thing. You can stand with me if you would. You're going to think I, I read Dear Abby all the time. I actually didn't, but... But one of her famous sayings is, people who fight fire with fire usually end up with ashes. If you're walking through a situation this morning, maybe it's a conflict in your life, can I encourage you to be the royal priesthood? Look at them like they just don't know what they're doing and pray for those that are despitefully using you. Because here's the real truth is the battle is the Lord's and the Lord is not going to give up on you. The Lord is not going to go back on his word towards you. And the difficult time that you're experiencing today will be here and then it will be gone. And allow God to deal with those, those nabals in your life.